This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, podcast drama! Also, massive spoilers, I mean massive spoilers for Solo, A Star Wars Story, and also the movies of 1989. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kinda like maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. You're simply the best! Welcome everyone to episode 52 of the Magnificently Huge podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will join me for a discussion of the movies of 1989. We did an episode on the movies of 84, we did an episode of 86, and now we're hitting 89. So, yep, more nostalgia for you guys. And, yeah, this is not the most organized episode we've ever done. Uh, We didn't really prep, we didn't share notes, and so we kind of trip all over each other and lose the thread. And at one point, the podcast kind of comes to a screeching halt. So, sorry about that. Also, uh... Big fat spoiler warning, I do not hold back on the spoilers for Solo, a Star Wars story. So if you haven't seen that and care to see it without spoilers, uh, maybe listen to a different episode uh, than this one, because I don't care. Y'all getting spoilers. If you have a problem with that, feel free to hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, at MagHuge. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, where we are magnificently huge. We're also magnificently huge on Instagram. And you can email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, and and give us advice on how to be more organized and better friends to each other. But most importantly, you know, if you enjoy this podcast, please, please, please share it with your friends. Put it on your social media feeds. Give a link out. Help us out. Give us a rating on iTunes or on Google Play or wherever you're finding your podcasts. Help us spread the word. Uh, We're still... uh, pretty young podcast and and we have a handful of of faithful listeners but we'd sure like to to reach a wider audience of people listening to us so uh thanks for your help and yeah let's uh let's go set the way back for 1989 welcome to the magnificently huge podcast the most ironically named podcast in the world exceptions included Yes. Ironic because of how not magnificent it is. Right. I I actually was was thinking, like, we need an intro of sorts. And I was thinking, how about the most famous podcast no one's ever heard of? (laughs) Uh, We are famous for being unknown. Yes. That's what we are. Yeah. We're we're like one of those overnight successes that'll take like a decade. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Conan O'Brien or Shaft. Yeah. So, hey, everybody. Uh, My name is Brian. My name is Eric. And this is Chris. And together, we form Voltron! No, I think I used that joke last year, and it didn't work either. Uh, Yeah. I don't think you did. I don't think you did. Damn it. Go ahead. Maybe he thought about it, and then he realized it was a terrible joke, (laughs) thought better of it, and stopped himself last year, and now he just doesn't care. When have you ever known me not to think that it's a good joke? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, okay. that's that's sort of Chris's secret. He he just throws the spaghetti at the wall, but he has a lot of spaghetti. Yeah. So eventually, something will stick. 
That's true. So this episode is part of our series where we talk about uh, summer movies. We pick a year and we talk about uh, the movies that came out that summer. And we did 84, we did 86, but this one is the big kahuna huna of 89 80s. is the magical year of yes. crappy fun cinema. Can I, can, yes. I, can, I, can I tell you, I've got, I looked up a list of the box office grosses for 1989. Ooh, I did too. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is, okay, I, I, I find this amazing. There were no films, there weren't no films, there were very few films <laughs> that broke $100 million box office domestically. Uh, right. And yeah, to clarify, the, 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 the top 10 uh, Dead Poet Society is the only one that didn't break 100 mil, and that yeah. came at 90, 95. But that there were nine of them in that yeah. year. And I thought that, that was astonishing. Yeah. And like seven of them were, uh, I mean, six of them were all in the summer. The, yes. And the, the really funny thing is those six are almost all of them are unwatchable now. Uh, yes. That was the yeah. other thing as well. I'm like, how many of these aged well? Uh, next to none. Next to none. Parenthood, Ghostbusters 2. Ah, oh, fuck you. Get out of here. Back to the Future 2, which only made money beca- on, you know, I think on the promise that this was part of a trilogy and you were going to be required to see them all. Yeah. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Well, which kids I would go like to, to add, uh, grammar Nazi alert, uh, it should be Honey, I Shrank the Kids. And yeah, so for that, it deserves a demerit. No, see, that's scripted, though. I mean, the, he says, Honey, I Shrunk <laughs> I the Kids in the movie. Yeah, I don't care, really. Indiana but- Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, my favorite, Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, and, of course, Batman, the movie that really started the the juggernaut of comic book movies. Yeah. You also forgot. So, there you go, everybody. There's the whole list of movies. The show's over. No, no. you forgot. To, <laughs> he drives Miss Daisy. <laughs> yeah. But that wasn't a summer release. That's well, that was just I was just given the summer well, releases. Neither was Back to the Future 2, but if you want to get pedantic about it, sure. Oh, I screwed up. I screwed up. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um <laughs> so I looked it up. Um you have to multiply dollars from 1989 by about 2 to yeah. adjust for inflation. Yeah. So multiply Batman, everything by 2. Batman made like a half a billion. I mean, well, yeah. But I was talking about, like, I remember in 1989 going, holy crap, a lot of movies this summer are breaking $100 million. Yeah. And well, so was 1989 deal. in 1989 dollars, I was going, holy fuck. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I look at the movies that came out that year, and it's amazing how many of these were, well, you know, good to great. But everybody worked that year. Everyone yeah. who was making film or in film or writing film, directing film, they were in something. They made something that year. Uh, it, def- it definitely counts as what I would call a watershed film year. Yeah. Looking back on it. Uh, I did have a theory going in, though, that it was sort of top-loaded with sequels. And so I did a little digging around, and it really wasn't. I don't know no. why... It, it felt like it, but it wasn't, because I looked at 88, 89, and 90 just for yeah. comparison, and they all had about 8% of the overall releases were sequels. I think it's Only because... Only 8%? I think yeah. it's because four of those, that top 10, four of the top 10 were sequels. Yeah, and but that's why I was like, But once you go well, further yeah. down the list, you know, there's, there's only a few of them. Karate Kid yeah. 3... Uh, born on the 4th of July, Henry V. Fifth. Yeah. Fifth. Uh, ha, ha. 
but I, also in comparison, I just kind of looked randomly at years to see what percentage of the top 100 were sequels. And it really, uh, there aren't a lot, all things considered. It's anywhere from around 6 to 10%. A couple mm. years jump up, like 88 was about 17% of the top 100. But then you get to <laughs> the more recent years, like 2010 was 14%, 2016 was 26%, last year was 28%. So obviously mm. our culture is in decline. So I'm glad we're talking about 1989 so we can kind of uh, <laughs> go back to a time when they were actually allowed to get weird and make more original content. Yeah. Even if it I, wasn't. I remember impressive. thinking at the time their studios used to make, you know, a lot more movies. They would take, they would cost less so they could make more. So they yeah. had a better chance of striking gold with something. And now they cost so much. You can only make one or two and it has yeah. to almost be guaranteed to make money. And so of course they're going to do sequels. Yeah. And they all suck. Yeah. So let's let's. Uh, do you guys want to get into it a little bit more? Uh, maybe I sequentially. Yeah, I I, I I I would like to say in 1989, uh, that's when I finally started caring about movies because I didn't give a shit. I was all about skateboarding, and that's it. And really? I I started hmm. really noticing and enjoying films f- as films in 1989, and yeah. I don't. I think it. I don't. It started. I don't know. It started early in 1989, but I know the high point of that year was the re-release of Lawrence of Arabia in 70 millimeter, four goddamn hours long, playing twice a day at the Cine Capri downtown. Oh, it was fucking amazing. And no one would go. No one was there. It was an empty house. And just me going, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Are you going to see the 70 millimeter print of 2001 that's that uh, Christopher Nolan is touring right now? I'd, I'd rather not. I, I find that film really boring. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't care. I don't. I don't. I, I like, there, there's so much about it technically that's amazing, but my, my problem with later Kubrick is it's almost all technically amazing and intellectually lazy and boring and stupid. If you look, if you've ever seen Barry Lydon, the only interesting thing about it is he invented a film stock that allowed him to shoot with candlelight. Yeah, that's it. Well, <laughs> well, it's no, it's no Lethal Weapon two. I think yeah. we can all agree. Yeah. And, now, uh, if Kubrick had made a Lethal Weapon movie, <laughs> mother of God, I think it would be like Full Metal right. Jacket, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about the most amazing summer of uh, in movie history, right? So we have to start off with. Uh, with Fright Night Part 2, right? We do. Because, well, uh, sure. I mean, cr- that came out in May of 89. Crickets, Okay, man. okay, okay, fine. Uh, see no evil, hear no evil, then. What are you doing? That came out in May. I'm reading <laughs> He's movies reading that came out in the summer of 1989. You're, you're bumming me out, dude. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. How I Got Into College. Now we can start the summer of 89, right? I saw that one. I liked it. <laughs> Savage Steve Holland. Yeah. That's a, I it mean, was the it's last not a uh, Savage Steve Holland film. Yeah, I mean, it's not uh, Better Off Dead or anything, but it was it was decent. Yeah, and uh, and let's not forget this was the 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 high point in the swan song of Shelley Long with Troop Beverly Hills. I mean, you, you, are you really going to shit ooh. on Troop Beverly Hills? I think uh, it's very likely that we could. <laughs> <laughs> when did uh, when did Troop Beverly Hills come out? Uh, uh Jesus, let me. Let me find it on I was, the list. Here. I was trying that to was, be in the month that of was, May. That uh, was March. Uh, yeah, that was in March. Yeah. Uh-huh. March 24th. Uh, 
Yeah, I skipped all the stuff before May. We're not just doing summer. We're not just doing summer, right? We I have mean, no this, idea what this show is about. This is 1989. Yeah. It's it's not the 1989. The whole but year if, was amazing. Okay. But if but if we're sticking to May as a thesis for this particular moment in time. I thought we were doing summer. That's why I started with May. So uh, we, I don't well, know anything. We, we can whatever. roll summer and then we can kind of branch out. How's that? Uh, uh but whatever. I get it. But up. I will have you know that that in prep for this I did actually rewatch in its entirety Earth Girls are easy. Uh just a few days oh, ago. Oh, how did that hold up for you? Holy fuck it is awful uh <laughs> and i don't remember it being a musical actually i didn't remember any of it it was weird well, it had I'm julie like, brown in it right wow. like, yeah it was, it was like her named uh, after a julie brown novelty song yeah it was Let's it was basically her her film debut the only thing i remember about it is the the video where they did for i'm a blonde which yeah. is is funny and it's fun but don't make a whole movie centered around that And then Did, at one point, is I'm a blonde in the movie? Yeah, it's like a, a like a breakaway, just non sequitur. Oh Jesus! Clip. Yeah. So this is this is oh this is the Julie Brown album mm-hmm. movie then basically. But it's oh, like boy. like but it actually tries to be a musical for the first like thirty minutes or so, and Gina Davis actually has a musical number, and then there's another song in the beauty parlor, and then they just drop it, and then it's no longer a musical, and then it yeah. becomes like this weird space, and I'm like, what the hell's going on? There was something about the late 80s, though, that it had its own camp. You know, everything was kind of goofy weird, and and it didn't always land. I think I think we remember it as being good because, you know, every, it was the best of that goofy campiness, but of course yeah. now, that goofy campiness uh, is just a, obnoxious. Well, my wife, to her credit, watched it with me, and we both went, I don't remember this at all, but holy God, it's the most 80s, 80s movie ever made. Exactly, exactly. It's so weird, because it's like bright neon, pastel, just... Right, ah. well, Jeff Goldblum is an alien, and Damon Wayans is another alien, and they're basically like... Don't forget Jim Carrey. Horny Teletubbies, right? Like, that's basically what they are. Oh, is Jim Carrey the third alien? Yeah. Yeah. He's Whiplock. Oh, man. You didn't know that? I, you know, <laughs> it, it. I've seen this movie in 1989, and I, yeah. that was all I needed to see of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember Basically, this was the beginning of the Gina Davis, Je- Jeff Goldblum couple thing, too, wasn't yeah. it? Or I guess that was The it's, Fly. It was post-Fly, so they were already together. But I just didn't okay. realize that, like, half the movie, she's just in lingerie or bikinis. It's weird. Yep. Uh, it's just, I <laughs> Did not remember a lick of it, so I just wanted to well, bring whole, it up because the whole yeah. song is about Julie Brown fucking an alien, yeah. right? And so they have to make well, a movie about it. Soundtrack has got just crap ton of B-52s and, and other stuff. It's just 
to- like totally it is, man. But it was filmed in like '87, and then the studio had weird issues with financing or something, so it didn't actually come out until '89. So it's actually an '87 movie, but we got it in '89. Yeah. So, so for those of you keeping track at home, the podcast is about the films of 1989. Uh, rather than talk about any of the good ones, we're talking about one we all agree sucks that was <laughs> yes. shot in 1987. <laughs> yeah. We're just the covering hell? the bases. Uh, so I cede the floor to the good senator from Arizona once again. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, at this point, I've completely lost the plot. Um, if we're talking about... <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about the actual, just the movies of the year and, and not just the summer. I, the summer was uh, a big part of it because that was yeah. back when there still was a summer a movie. Summer. Yeah. Now the, the release yeah. schedule is pretty much all year and not even always in a theater. But yeah, a bulk of 89 was about the summer. So, you know, you're not off. All right. It's well, just, yeah. it's let's just, just that, go to where the summer kicked into high no, gear. All I'm there. trying to say is that. God, uh, can we just start the podcast over? This sucks. <laughs> uh, there, there, are, there are no rules. Yeah. There okay. Are no rules. Okay. Ah. So, how about some fresh shit? This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. It's fresh. This stuff is really fresh. Sure. Let's do some fresh shit. Chris, you got any? Uh, oh, I've got a doozy. You guys are going to love this one. So I randomly, I randomly found via the internet uh, a Russian movie from 2008 called D-Day, and effectively it is a totally plagiarized remake of 1986's Commando starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> Say what? <laughs> yeah, it is all in Russian. I can't find it in any sort of English version, but you can YouTube it and watch the whole thing. It's like an hour 22. Basically, they cut out all of the fat of commando and it's literally it's not like a gus van zandt weird shot for shot remake but it's pretty much all of the broad strokes and it's literally the same movie uh you know special forces guy daughter's kidnapped they force him to go kill somebody he jumps out of the plane he meets the stewardess they go blah 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 and then he blows up the island fortress it's literally commando but it's a russian special forces <laughs> guy it is the most amazing thing i have ever seen it is so batshit crazy do they credit the original uh, uh oh no Mando? oh no oh, oh no <laughs> it's just a flat out ripoff uh but they don't even disguise the fact it's amazing <laughs> this makes me want to know if there's a turkey remake of commando or uh, like well, one from bollywood well you can you go know? on there's a there's a site called neonharbor.com and they've got a little thing called deja view which is how i found this and they have a whole listing of just weird unauthorized foreign knockoff remakes so you get a lot of the turkish <laughs> stuff there's uh-huh. like uh italian james bond japanese planet of the apes uh, just etc. And that's how I found. I want to oh. see Italian James Bond. Holy crap! <laughs> yes, that yeah. sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna try to find that next. But D Day is just I literally he lifts whole action sequences and shots and whatnot. And I didn't need any subtitles at all. I watched this thing from start to finish, and I knew exactly what was going on. That's how amazing it is. <laughs> so uh, is this like? Um, the original movie isn't going to be shown in Russia. They're not letting it in uh, because Cold War. So they just made a Russian version of the same movie. Well, that's the thing is that it. I think Schwarzenegger, when he made Red Heat, was in Russia. And so he found that people knew 
his work because they had smuggled him in. So it was like these underground film clubs and they would watch all these Western movies that were not part of the, the proletariat approved, whatever. Uh, and so people just went nuts for these things. It reminded me of a documentary called Chuck Norris versus communism, yeah. which is all about that. And it's an I amazing movie, about that. but yeah. And, and so this guy, the director, Mikhail Porachenko, what was his name? Porachenkov, who's also the star. He's just this big, muscly beef, dude uh loved it so much that he just remade it and <laughs> didn't get any <laughs> clearance at all just did it and it's just yeah it's great uh so at, just just wow. search it out find it watch it and you will be amazed it's just yeah sublime well <laughs> so that's my fresh okay well mine actually ties in nicely to that or dovetails dovetails into that nicely uh, a documentary on Netflix called Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. Oh, Dude, that's I've a good one. to watch that. That's yeah, a good it's, one. It's, it's, it's really, um, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. I loved it. I just don't know like what, <laughs> why. It's uh, three kids in Mississippi. In 1981, uh, one of them saw Raiders of the Lost Ark in the theater and loved it so much. He decided he was going to remake it shot for shot. And hooked up with this, these two friends, and they started on a journey that took seven years, where they remade all of Raiders of the Lost Ark on like VHS, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. a, a shot for shot. And and this is remember Raiders was on moratorium for a long time; you couldn't get it on VHS. So they were doing this with uh, pictures from magazines. Uh, recordings from from screenings and shit they just remembered they they basically just studied it with you know as much information as they could get their hands on and the result is really amazing yeah Uh, it's almost like a like a sweeted version every time i see any any press about that fan film i think about chris and i think chris you missed your calling I did. I don't think so. I think the other thing you get out of this documentary is, is how this documentary is a lot like Rudy. Do you remember Rudy? Do you remember yeah. the movie about yeah. the guy who said, my big goal is to play with Notre Dame in a football game. And by the end of it, you go, that was the dumbest fucking goal any human being has ever had. Yeah, you yeah. achieved it. But so what? What if he had decided, you know what? I'm going to cure cancer. Wouldn't that have been better? It's it's that kind of movie where you go, yeah, you shot all of Raiders, but so what? You know, Congratulations. Like, yeah. yeah. Because the one thing they were never able to shoot as kids was the air, the the flying wing sequence with you sure. know the fight and the thing. Well, this movie half of it is giving you the history of this fan film. The other half of it is the story of the two of the three guys getting back together in middle agehood to shoot the flying wing sequence (laughs) with the money that they have as grown-ups oh did i mention that the two of these guys directed this documentary yeah they directed this yes and it goes through them well that's the thing it's like i'm I'm going why 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 do you need because they're monetizing it (laughs) it's the only way they could make any money off of this stupid ass thing they did right and and so yeah they're they're trying they're they're going through how they're 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 losing shooting days because of rain it's a big you know shit show um we're gonna have to talk about it once you do actually see it because there's so many questions and so many stories it 
but it's 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 well, a Chris, it's fascinating. I've seen parts of it, but I haven't watched the whole thing. No. Okay. I, I think though the I the think- best part of it. Let me just say the best part of it without giving anything away. In the end credits, they show the flying wing sequence that they wound up shooting right next to the flying wing sequence from the original Raiders. And nice. it's astonishing how, how good it is. It, it's like, man, I, I actually like watching the new one. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 they, they came up with nothing original, but that's not the point. It's uh, uh, Gary Knowles uh, at one point in it says, this thing is amazing because of the love that goes into it and you it doesn't matter that they didn't come up with any of it you can see that they understood each shot each frame and you can see the love of the movie in it that's what makes it so great okay so is is the documentary worth my time totally oh totally nice yeah and then you should watch chuck norris versus communism yeah you should probably watch just that make first a, just make a night of it yeah make a night of it yeah what else you got eric that was it. I'm trying to keep it to one fresh shit each show. Okay. So I've only got one, but we're going to have to do this. So let's talk about Solo, a Star Wars story. All right. Yeah, because I don't think Eric and I are probably going to rush out and see it. So yeah, no. spoil away, sir. Spoil yeah, I'm spoiling away. it. I'm spoiling okay. it. This shit is spoiled. Hey, does it have does it have the uh, um, the standard Opie Taylor movie moment where they play butt rock? Um, what? actually, no. But but this is a game I do want to play with you. I want you guys to just ask me. I, I I want you guys to just list like stuff you assume this movie would somehow include, and I'll tell you if it does. Uh <laughs> so there's there's the uh, the game with Lando where yes. he wins the Falcon. Okay. Yes. Is it anticlimactic? Yes. Does Chewbacca lose and then tear off someone's arms? Um, not in the way you think, but yes. But they reference okay. it. Okay, yeah, I figured. Oh, yes. okay. Um, he, he, let me just he, say, he loses, but he doesn't tear off the arms of the person he loses to. He tears off somebody else's arms for a different reason. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Ugh. Do they actually pull off the Kessel Run? Yes. God damn it. Okay. You're going to have to get a lot fan wankier for me to start saying no, because this is the fan wankiest movie you've ever fucking seen. Do they explain explain that that a parsec is a measure of... uh, (laughs) Distance and not time. (laughs) Amazingly, no. (laughs) I thought they would, but they did not. Eric wins. He got you to say no. Okay. Okay. that's, That's pretty... Okay, so this is... I mean, it's Ron Howard's Star Wars and everything that implies. It's like... It is the least visually interesting Star Wars movie <laughs> by well, a lot. From the, direct, from the director of Willow? Come on. Yeah. So. Um, go ahead. Uh, I, I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. Okay. So here's, a, here's the movie begins with a perfect analogy for what's so goddamn wrong with it. All right. So all Star Wars movies start with the Star Wars scroller that has three sentences formatted like paragraph ending with a four dot ellipsis, which is not a grammatical thing, but that's Star Wars. Um, except for Rogue One. Rogue yeah. One broke that, right? And so it's like, okay, the Star Wars stories, we're just going to be like Rogue One, a Star Wars story, let's go. This movie starts with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away in the blue font, 
and then it does effectively a Star Wars scroller three sentences that end with a four dot ellipsis in four t- in three subsequent title cards in the same font as the long time ago. It does a Star Wars scroller wrong, but it thinks it's doing it in a Star Wars style. It, and that sums up that's how the movie begins and it just keeps going from there um well to be fair how many sequels has ron howard actually made in his career uh i guess he's made two for himself da vinci like code inferno and whatever yeah yeah okay. i don't know what else i but forgot about cares? those okay um <laughs> okay so in the 90s before the uh, there was a there was the whole Star Wars expanded universe right where there was comic books and novelizations and frankly the video games that we were working on right the the whole catalog of Lucas Arts and they built up this whole expanded universe of Star Wars. This movie is the filmic equivalent of that. Yeah. To no. the extent of they're drawing in, they're drawing in references to all kinds of stuff. Like most of the locations that they reference, either verbally or in the movie, were like, "Oh yeah, that was a we had a level in that planet in the games." Uh, you know, the the maw shows up, Sullust shows up, all all these things. Okay, Terras Kasi, the martial art from the shitty PlayStation One game, shows up in this movie. It is. The antithesis of The Last Jedi. This is nothing but fan service. Huh. Um, That's shocking. That you. That is <laughs> shocking. But is it good? Is it entertaining? Is, is it good? <sighs> is it... I mean... Okay, so Lando is perfect. Okay. D- uh, Donald Glover as Lando. Brilliant. Well, he's, getting his he's, own, he's getting his own movie on the strength of this uh, Oh, my not God. Not necessarily. No, that Another? has not been... No, Jesus. that hasn't been announced. That's not a thing. <laughs> Only Boba Fett that we know. Um, okay. Yeah, unfortunately. Woody Harrelson is shockingly good. If anybody is playing the space cowboy and posing and doing action really well in this movie, it's Woody Harrelson, if you can believe that. Um, the robot, the robot is once again the best part of the movie. This, this robot is named, I swear this is true, L337. That's right, they named the robot Leet. As in Leet Hacker, Hacksor, Leet Speak. Oh, yeah. I don't understand. I don't know no. what that so is. So, Internet Chat Speak, L E E T, L 337 L337, I am Leet Hacksor. You, no? Nobody no. knows Leet Speak? No, no idea. Lost well, me. they named a robot after that. But if it makes okay. you feel any better, I don't believe it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the stunned. robot does hack things. <laughs> I am jaw floor the, cut it. This robot also gets royally screwed. Like, this character gets the absolute worst possible story arc. Um, You want me to spoil it? I can spoil it. Yeah, might as well. Okay, so this robot is aware that uh, droids are um, being um, persecuted. You know, they don't serve their kind here. Um, and so this, this droid leads a droid revolution and starts popping the restraining bolts off of other droids and, and calls for droid freedom. And the droid's fate is, uh, it gets chopped in half and its processor becomes the nav computer for the Millennium Falcon and the droid ends up being property that is traded between other 
humans and never treated with any individuality ever again for the rest of Star Wars, because we've already seen that. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> That's heavy, man. That's heavy. Um, uh, the music sucks. Um, the music really sucks. They, they only bring John Williams themes in occasionally, and they bring them in poorly. Uh, you know that, that the main Star Wars theme, dun, dun, da, 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 dun, dun, that? Never the name heard. of that theme is Luke Skywalker's theme. But it keeps showing up in this movie. Um, no. <laughs> Wait, is they, it really, is it really yeah. Luke Skywalker's theme? Yeah. I never knew that. supposed to be Luke Skywalker's theme. At least it used to be. Either that, or I've finally gotten something dreadfully wrong in Star Wars trivia, and if I have, you can write us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com and give me <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what can I say? I mean, there's, there's a lot of wink and nod Star Wars references throughout this thing. It was distractingly like that. And once again, they've made the galaxy smaller. And once again, they've made a prequel with no real stakes. And... This is gonna come out in the media at some point, so I may as well... This is a big-ass spoiler. This is the big-ass spoiler for Solo, everybody. Okay. You shouldn't care. Darth Maul appears in this movie. <gasps> what, what? Ray Park. Ray Park is the, the human actor. The voice is the guy who does the voice of Darth Maul from the Clone Wars and Rebels series. They have made... The resurrection of Darth Maul from the cartoons, canon in the fucking films. Well, wow. that's something. That's For no something. good reason. Because <laughs> wait, he's wait, wait, clearly wait. not around wait, by the time I'm Star sorry. Wars starts. I'm sorry, wait, this is really disturbing. Wait a second. I'm not kidding. You know stuff from the Star Wars cartoons. I know people who <laughs> really? work on the Star Wars cartoons. <laughs> oh my I know God. several people who work on the Star <laughs> Wars the- cartoons. <laughs> He's the resident Star Wars encyclopedia. <laughs> How is he not going to know? I have been I have been praying that we could just pretend that none of that stuff is canon, that we could like ignore those cartoons outright and they had to go and pull that for no good goddamn reason. Like the fate of Darth Maul has already been told in those shows. Um he's Definitely not around by the time of Star Wars, so the only reason to bring him in as a tag on this movie is the big dun-dun-dun uh, moment to set up sequels to Solo, a Star Wars story, which, please God, do not make them. I remember, like, in, in the 90s uh, when somebody found a play called Cymbeline, uh, I think that was what it was called, and they were, they were debating whether or not it was Shakespeare canon, and that was the first time I heard the word canon, and that's kind of how canon got used, and now we use it for Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um Ron Howard, ladies and gentlemen. Fine. It's it's you'll you'll eat popcorn, two hours will go by. Um hey Alden Ehrenreich is acceptable as Han Solo. Chewbacca rules. I'll give it this. The the new Chewbacca actor gets to do a lot of cool stuff. Okay. Um yeah. but yeah, it's it's a movie. You can see it. <laughs> or not <laughs> whatever it's up to you up to you that's my okay. fresh shit uh All thank right. you for your thank you for your candor brian uh and, we appreciate and, that and thank you for the the good thoughts fresh uh, okay 
So set the way back. Let's get back to 1989. So let's talk about a good movie. Um, and let's let's go to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yes, yes, let's. Because I'm gonna go just jump to the front of the line and say that that is my favorite movie of that year uh, for the big ones. This is not a surprise because Chris was a Raiders of the Lost Ark freak. Yeah, always had been. I don't count uh, Crystal Skulls. I don't. Uh, it's a bastardization and uh, is not to be recognized. But yeah. of the first three, this would rank as number two. I think most common logic. Yeah, there. yeah. I think I think people will generally agree. Um, also, Temple of Doom, kind of dog shit. I'm sorry, kind of dog it's, shit. Yeah, it hasn't grown very well. It's it definitely bottom of the queue. Yeah. All right, so I'm with you. Agreed. Agreed. If you're going to have Indiana Jones, goddammit, you got to have Nazis. Yeah. That's that's It does that's work Ill. best that way. Yeah. yeah. And and there are Nazis in this one. Oh boy, are there ever. <laughs> it belongs <laughs> in a museum. That was so my favorite you. part. That's yeah. a good retort. <laughs> well, here, and then Brian, you can, you can take over. But this is the thing that struck me uh, recently watching these again. I'm sure it's been in the back of my mind. But as a treasure hunter, Indiana Jones is aces. You would find none better. He's great at putting the clues together and finding the Guga. But he's horrible at keeping the Guga. And he has no track record of keeping the Guga in any of these movies. And so yeah, it bothers really- me. Yeah, he's very shitty at, at getting them and then keeping them. So if you're but Belloc... Then- yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say, because he's, he's an archaeologist, so what he's good at and smart at is figuring out where the Guga has been hidden. Yeah. The rest of it he has to improvise, because that's not really his, his line of work. <laughs> exactly. And he's horrible at it. But he loses everything he finds. And so it struck me as like, yeah, Belloc in the first one had the right thing. You just just watch him do his thing, follow him around, and then once he's got the thing, uh, just take it. There's also that whole idea that God is a character in all of the Indiana Jones films. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are so many uh, moments where shit turns right for him in a supernatural way. And it's because, the the argument goes, God sends him on this quest to to find the Guga, as you call it, and uh, lets him fail necessarily so that he can get the ultimate bad guys in the same room as the deathly mystical object and take him out. Yeah. So, so like each Indiana time. Jones is God's instrument of death is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. More he's the, like, he's the angel of death. Yes. No, no. He's the, <laughs> he's the introducer of the angel of death. He's the guy who walks into the room and says, and now the angel of death, because Whoa. he brings <laughs> the people in to be annihilated, yeah. but he doesn't actually annihilate them. So he's like the Vince Claw to uh, to Gozer, basically. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. I like okay. that a lot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just just clarifying there. So uh, Temple of Doom. Oh, sorry. Last Crusade. At the end of the movie, there's a bit where he has to do the leap of faith, and the reason he has to do a leap of faith is that there's this chasm, but there's a bridge that's been somehow painted with a force perspective painting, yeah. so you can't see it. Now, when I watched that at the time, I'm like. So you couldn't like lean a little to the side, maybe <laughs> no, to like break the force perspective illusion. But like, you have that to know that it's like there in order to yeah. do that. 
And so basically that was the moment where you went, hey, hold up just a second. <laughs> well, no, I was okay, You I waited was the whole movie gone. for that. An hour Honestly. and 15 minutes okay. in, taking okay. down a Messerschmitt with an umbrella and pigeons. That's fine, but... <laughs> yeah. I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. <laughs> Charlemagne had to take out dive bombers with yeah. an umbrella and pigeons, yes. Yeah. yeah. No, it actually got worse after that, though, because then it's like the cup with everlasting life and the night yeah. has been there forever. And, like, that whole ending just left me cold. I know, but I love the I love the bit at the end when they do the, the, the creepy death of the Nazi guy that's, um, like, sort of a throwback to the first Raiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of... A lot of throwbacks to that one to kind of let people get their bearings. But then you got the knight in there, and he just has that weird, he chose poorly. (laughs) And it it always makes me laugh every time I see it, Uh, which is hundreds Uh, of times now. That is, and that Nazi bad guy is, again, the guy from Empire Strikes Back that we discussed a week or two ago. Yeah, Julian Glover. This is also the last great film uh, of River Phoenix. He was in a couple other things, but they suck. Yeah. This is the last really great, fun, awesome moment of River Phoenix playing young Indiana Jones. And impeccably, Mm -hmm. I might add. Impeccably. Yeah. Yes. Because you can tell... you can I tell think that he, this fi- this had just been a short film called Indiana Jones, you know, Young Indiana Jones, and they hadn't made that questionable TV show. Yeah. And just on that, I st- I still would have been on board. Yeah, I think it, it works on its own perfectly as as just a film opener. It's it's top notch. Yeah. And and you can yeah. tell that I like the fact because River Phoenix had worked with Harrison Ford on the Mosquito Coast, so he obviously knew his ticks. And incorporated mm-hmm. that into the performance. You, I mean, it's just flawless. I love it yeah. so much because it's like you yeah. got the run, the run down the hill, and all of the the mannerisms. It's just, yeah, it's too bad that he choked to death in his he own even vomit. Has, he even has the vocal inflections because that yeah. moment where he says it belongs in a museum. They yeah. both say it, and they say it within five minutes of each other yeah. because they flash forward to you know Indiana's present, and it's like. Yeah. Holy God, he sounds just like Harrison Ford. You got a heart, kid, but that belongs to me. Belongs to Coronado. Coronado's dead, and so are all of his grandchildren. This should be in a museum. So that's that's a good Damn one. it, now you've made me like Solo just a little bit less, because I was okay with Halden Ehrenreich until I started thinking about River Phoenix's performance yeah. in Indiana Jones. God damn, damn it. it. Uh, oh, well. The other thing about Last Crusade is all of the weird uh, hat metaphor bullshit that's going on through the entire thing like when indy loses his hat it's kind of like uh samson getting his hair cut suddenly he's in mortal danger and it's like that whole tank sequence is a big example of this it's like his hat flies off right before they go over the cliff and so you think oh my god he's dead and then it's the big sad moment and then when they're getting ready to leave again his hat just magically rolls back into the frame he's never without the hat unless Mm. He doesn't have it, and then something goes awry. I noticed this the fir- like the first time I had seen it, uh, and it just stuck with me. And it's just a weird thing to look out for now when you watch these movies. So, uh, Eric, you got a movie from '89 you want to cover? I just say Lethal Weapon Two. Come on, there's Lethal Weapon Two. That one, <laughs> boom, was a great film, boom. No, I Lethal Weapon Two was like. I was not expecting to like it, and it, it's kind of like it had every every cop movie cliche, but accelerated, and yeah. and it was so beautiful in its love of awful. 
I mean, th- yeah. that's the only way to put it. A guy gets killed with a surfboard in a car accident, <laughs> and 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 uh, either Murtaugh or Riggs, I think it was one of them, says "surfs up" after Boom. after he dies. It's like now you would do that in a sitcom because you know, it's so cheesy. There, that's where it started. Well, I would like uh, to blow blow your mind just briefly that uh, both Last Crusade and Lethal Weapon Two were written by the same fellow, Jeffrey Bone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I I gotta say I never got out of Lethal Weapon what everybody else seems to be getting out of it. I just never cared. It's I don't really like it anymore, uh, mostly because Mel Gibson exposed himself as a giant fucking racist, and yeah. it's unbearable to watch most of his movies now. I and this one, this I, yeah, is we, six. This one is funny though because uh, he's going after the South Africans uh, during apartheid, so it's yeah. kind of like it's weird. I mean, I won't go very far into Lethal Weapon 2, because frankly, we, we did this in our uh, uh, our threeology yeah. episode, mm-hmm. and and I, I, I talked up Lethal Weapon duh, quite extensively. I'm, I don't know, I, I don't, I guess, want to pick one film. There's just so many to talk about. I mean, The, the Abyss... Yeah. Oh um, God! Can we please talk about the abyss? Yeah, I yeah. think we should. Yeah. And that counts. That's like later summer. It happened right before yeah, it was I like left August, for school. Right? Yeah, and I think I watched it two or three times at the Cine Capri. Yeah, because it was the big seventy millimeter print, and it was just enormous. And the thing is like two and a half hours, three hours long, almost. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is the movie where basically studios learned what. Let uh, James Cameron do what he wants because yeah. yes. they cut they cut him off at the knees on the ending, and it didn't do as well. No, because it doesn't end right. Have you seen the <laughs> Have you seen the revised ending? On the, yeah, they, it, they, they it did put it out. Aw- it looks awful, but it makes sense. You know, it's like they had to do it on a shoestring. But I can see where if he had been given the money to do what they did in that, yeah, it would look right too. So. Yeah. Let, let me explain that for the audience. And actually, I first experienced the ending through the novelization of this movie. But The Abyss is about a bunch of uh, miners who work under sea at the bottom, uh, or at the edge of the Marianas Trench. And one of them ultimately goes very, very deep down in the trench and meets aliens. And the aliens are pissed off um, because the humans are screwing up the world and they're not even aware that, of, of the impact they're having. What happens at the end of the of the original cut of the movie makes no sense. The guy goes down the trench and the aliens fill him with a bunch of visions and it's like the architect scene in the Matrix yeah. revolutions I, or whatever. Let me let me jump in there real quick. Okay. They they send down a nuclear war well, one of the bad guys sends down oh, a nuclear right, warhead. Right. He goes down to deactivate the nuclear warhead on a suicide mission. They they the alien things that live at the bottom of the ocean, they bring him back to the surface and they, you know, they save his life. And that yeah. kind of, it kind of ends there. The original right. ending, they save yes. his life, but they also say, holy shit, you have nuclear weapons? And so they raise the ocean <laughs> yes. along the coast of every, every nation country. in the world yes. and say, basically, cut the shit or we're going to get rid of you. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I love that statement. And this is also still Cold War. So there were still nuclear weapons all over the place. It was still an issue that was scaring the crap out of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody remembers it for the for the effects, the water tentacle that led to the T one thousand, but really this was about Ed Harris 
and um, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio's relationship. They had like they were estranged. Estranged, yeah. And um, and Ed Harris just acts the hell out of this thing. Well, he's Ed Harris. Uh, yeah. Fun fact: uh, Michael Bean, who plays the Navy SEAL that like goes nuts because of the weird pressure thing, uh, he was actually not the first choice. The first choice to play that role was James Remar, who was you know forty eight <laughs> hours. But apparently, he was such a fuck up because he was on drugs at the time that they had oh, to recast him, and they so, brought in no. Michael Bean. So wrong, imagine wrong, what that would have been like, Chris. Wrong movie. Yeah. Sorry that that's Aliens. They they wanted I I when you said Remar I was like oh shit that happened oh that twice, is right it is aliens damn it yeah it all right aliens. forget what I just yeah. said all right wow. uh, I stand corrected I stand corrected but, okay yeah okay another couple I want to mention um uh, 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 oh god what was it? Henry the fifth that was this is the beginning yeah. of of um 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 Kenneth Branagh, Kenneth Branagh. and yeah. this that we was lucky a great few. a great adaptation brothers. so fun. Um, Young Einstein was supposed to be the big comedy of the summer. <laughs> Yahoo. Oh, Yahoo! Serious. Now, Australia's colossal comedy hit, starring its newest comedy hero, comes to the states. <laughs> Yahoo! Serious is Young Einstein. Yeah, Einstein puts the bubbles wow. back into beer. Come on. Yeah, it was awful. awful, but it had a really good soundtrack. I will grant you that. It was kind of that weird. New wavy down under stuff. It was good. Yeah. The other big comedy that was supposed to be a big comedy and was like a, a monstrous bomb was She Devil, starring yeah. Roseanne Barr and uh, 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 the world's greatest actress, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't get her name. Yeah. Just, you know just horrible. A couple of a weird shocker. ones. Shocker. Shocker yeah. was 1989. The, I forgot uh, about that one. The, yeah. The, 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 the other uh, nightmare, a Wes Craven movie. Yeah. I forgot that Major League came out that year, too. And that was, like, on the cusp of the spring to coincide with baseball season. Yeah. Uh, Say anything. Say anything, yeah. which is so true. So Isn't true. it, though? It is so um, true. <laughs> I was sex. surprised that the uh, the Bond movie, Timothy Dalton's yeah, second license outing, to uh, kill. License to Kill, yeah. did not hit uh, the top 20 even that was like came oh, in like no, number that, 36 that, yeah it bombed horribly i remember yeah. at the time it came out in a and i remember thinking this is the wrong year for a bond film yeah. and a star trek film because it's in competition with everything yeah. and so now you actually have to judge it on its own merits rather than well nothing's playing Ooh, new star trek yeah, yeah it, the the bond film had like a, a questionable story it didn't have a mission it was anti-drug and we were fucking done with that yeah. let, him, let him fight I, russians again i feel and bad for for dalton as bond because he got saddled with that weird let's mess with the formula to fit the times kind of thing and he, yeah. they didn't they just did it really heavy-handedly and yeah. like if they had work. getting dalton the script for casino royale that they yeah. gave daniel craig he would have yeah. ruled uh, yeah or golden eye he, he was yeah. dalton was one of the best bonds i think he just got the shittiest scripts yeah I would agree with that. Yeah, uh, yep. Pet uh, Cemetery, Sea of Love. Uh, hey, don't Field forget that Field of Dreams. Yeah, don't forget Steel Magnolias. Yeah, the, the Little Mermaid, Cluster God. Yeah, Little Mermaid is the one that I want to bring up because that Wait, is the Little Mermaid. Yeah, yeah that came out when like did that. Come out in eighty nine, like like November. Came out late yeah. in the year, but that it, was it's, the 
when they brought back Disney innovation. And in fact, actually, Disney was all but dead. And then they came out with The Little Mermaid and they said, oh, shit, we, we we can get our way back in with these... You know, this animation technique that no one has ever capitalized on. So after yeah. that, it was Beauty and the Beast, and then just one after another after another. Yeah, until it kind of went but so. Yeah. Uh, Bill and Ted's also came out the ear. Don't forget yes. that. And that and coincides with their new. Yeah. Um, Weekend at Bernie's, which is a weirdly uh, cultish awful. movie that has staying oh, power even to this day. It's so, so weird. Yeah. So dumb. Just stupid. Ghost, oh, Uncle Buck and Parenthood, yeah, both in August of that year. So there's a there's a whole lot of that. Uh, but and Ghostbusters two, Ghostbusters yeah. two came out this year. <sighs> what a pile of shit! It's yeah. it's a it's a solid uh, textbook example of uh, don't make a sequel to a popular movie just to make a sequel to a popular movie. You know, this is also the year where uh, Miramax first comes onto the scene with Sex, Lies, and Videotape, back yeah. when uh, uh, Harvey Weinstein was just a young pup dreaming of raping people. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, well, but one day, his, those dreams would come true, and he would, yeah. he would be a very horrible person. Well, it's it, kind of a watershed year, though, because that's, that's where Soderbergh pretty much got his start. So, thank you, 1989, yeah. uh, for that. Uh we also get uh, Heather's. Don't forget Heather's I was came say, out in 1989. Yeah, right this year. Uh, uh, do the right thing. Do the right thing is on this yeah. list of box office at like 27 million. So it's like in 43rd place, but it was only in a little over 500 theaters. It yeah. had a very limited release and kicked the ass off of a lot of films that had a lot more money behind them. Yeah, and it's because I think you know that that whole 80s wackiness we're talking about that that was the, one of the few movies in in the year that was real yeah you know? well well it we didn't listed, uh, go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say it didn't beat out roadhouse but whatever oh so we have God, listed a whole right. bunch of giant huge stone cold classics and yeah. they're all eclipsed by batman yep we got yep the yep. first tim yep. burton batman the, yeah the yeah. comic book movie made by a guy who openly admitted he didn't really like comic books that much. Yeah. Well, yep. I would I would yeah. like to, to thank to them. To which for, the rest of us said, no shit. Yeah. Well, I would yeah. like to thank them for giving the opportunity because uh, the next year he would go on to do Edward Scissorhands. And then he would do uh, a string of really solid film work until sort of late-ish 90s, early 2000s. And then he kind of lost it. Well, and it really started but, with Pee Wee and Beetlejuice, but... Chris, I remember you being so hyped for Batman. I like, totally in a way I was not. That that trailer came out and it was that very weird minimalist just hey, let's throw a lot of cuts from yeah. the movie but don't put any music on it really. And it was just right. bing, was, bing 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 bing, you know. And it was also a period of time where every preview had the in a world where yeah. guy and it, no one was explaining it. It was just you know it's fucking Batman. Now yeah. watch some cool stuff. Yeah. It's it was just an amazing marketing campaign and I got totally sucked in. Uh, like even f- I remember reading the Sunday comics and like Foxtrot was just every week building up to the release of Batman was like the little kid in Foxtrot wearing Batman regalia oh, yeah. talking about talking about how awesome Batman was going to be. I mean, it was just like it was insane. I think it's hard to explain to people that weren't paying attention or weren't there mm. at the time how insane it all was in this buildup. 
Yeah. I mean, it was just crazy. I think for like months in uh, uh, Times Square, that video billboard was just the Batman symbol. Yeah. There's no no ad no no yeah. nothing no 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 even explanation of why just the bat symbol and you're mm. like oh I had the shirt yeah, it, yeah. it was the first I had the whisper t-shirt. campaign I think it was yeah. the first whisper marketing campaign for a film where they didn't yeah the t-shirts didn't even say Batman it was just the bat symbol yeah and you just knew something's coming the the poster didn't even like the symbol didn't even fit on the poster like it stuck out off the edge of the they they went even further with batman returns where it was just like one eighth of the bat symbol was the poster <laughs> yeah it was like you but, know what it is come on but yeah that thing was that thing was heavily and it yeah. holds up like i still can enjoy it my kids can enjoy it the funny thing is at the time when they were making it the people who were trying to get it produced the sam hams and and others were like no no you got to do batman dark like he is in the comics if you watch yeah. it now, it comes across as the campy Batman. Yeah. Yeah, it is yeah, a weird shift, uh, the way perspective changes over time. But yeah. But it's if also you compare- a lot of a lot of errors in the script. I think I think part of the campiness is the laziness of screenwriting at the time. Yeah. That you know, like like the whole you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. That whole scene doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add to the story. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't belong. Yeah. And there's so many things in that film where you go, Why why did they do that? And I still don't know. Coke? I think Coke. <laughs> Possibly. But it, overall, I mean the thing made just a jillion trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. became a huge deal and uh it gave us elfman's iconic score which you just can't get away from i mean that's yeah. just that's when i think batman that's immediately what i think of i mean even over the adam west tv show mm-hmm. uh and then you also had that really fucked up prince soundtrack album yeah. bat dance oh, yeah what the <laughs> hell we can forget we can forget bat dance we yes. can forget bat dance no yeah. you can't it's stuck in your brain yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not there. I you, you can't get the funk discuss. out. You can't. The, the, <laughs> the other thing about this film that's a big deal is that it's the first major action film where the stars aren't action. They're actors. They're they're not even muscular. I, I yeah. think Sly Stallone said Batman was the beginning of the end of his career because suddenly guys who don't lift could do the same thing and they could actually act yeah which and, and we all so know you get superheroes it leads to the whole marvel thing today you've got people who are actual talented actors putting on spandex yeah but i think we all know that uh rhinestone was the start of stallone's career end so we can just leave it at that what's rhinestone rhinestone with the dolly movie. parton oh yeah. i thought th- i thought there was someone named ryan stone <laughs> no Okay. No. Uh, uh, well, other other notables that I wanted to bring up just in, in passing, because uh, in addition to all these iconic classics that everybody knows and has basically an understanding of, there were also a lot of really weird, fucked up indie films and smaller releases that still hold a place in my heart. Uh, like The Burbs was uh, Joe Dante. Joe Dante! Yeah. yeah. Uh, I still love, love that. And Rick Dukeman and that one just doing the Satan is good, <laughs> Satan is your pal. And it still makes me laugh. Every time. I'm just chanting. You're chanting. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Uh, there's also uh, Baron Munchausen came out, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, yes. which almost, yeah. almost, almost scuttled Gilliam's career. 
uh, but brilliant it's so bloated but it's so and good so watchable i mean i yeah. think i think that stands up i think that film is fun yes. it's just it's just this, this amazing flight of fancy it's so incredibly made uh you know it's, it's a shame it, no more people watch it it's not unlike uh it's it's funny it's kind of thematically the same film as hook Spielberg's take yes. on returning to your childhood, yes. and it's but so much it better. It succeeds, and Hook fails. Yeah, yeah. so miserably. Yeah. Uh, also, the the big picture, which nobody saw, but that well, was an early. Christ- yeah, we saw the shit out of it, but that's an well, early you Christopher guest. I love that movie <laughs> yeah. so much. That's just, actually the perfect year for it to come out because, yeah. like I said, everyone's working. Yeah. Every like, there's a film popping up almost every week, and here is a meta description of the film industry yeah. for anyone who cares. Yeah, which is funny because oh, when I saw Brian, that, it, Brian, I'll find it. But right here, play that clip of Martin Short, his agent. If you decide to sign with me, you're going to get more than an agent. You're going to get three people. You're going to get an agent, a mother a father, a shoulder to cry on, someone who knows this business inside and out. And if anyone ever tries to cross you, I'll grab them by the balls and squeeze till they're dead. That's good. But I saw that in a a theater full of film students at Southern California, and it was just so perfect uh, to watch them uh, be delighted and also just completely horrified at the same time. It was fun. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Drugstore Cowboy also came out, so that was Gus Van Zant's sort of yep. uh, introduction. Yeah. Uh, so solid movie. I still like that one a lot. One of uh, Matt Dillon is really good in that. And yeah, I, I think at that time I was like, God damn, you hardly ever see Matt Dillon anymore. And I would continue to say that for the next twenty years. Yeah, he pops mm-hmm. up every four or five years, but whatever he's in, he's good in it. Yeah. Really good in really it. Really good. See, uh, uh, see Wayward Pines. See Wayward Pines. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another just passing mention, we we brought this one up in our disaster movies that show, but Miracle Mile came out that year. Uh, <gasps> oh, oh, I love Miracle Mile. Yeah, Christ. and it's a, have you seen that yet, Brian? Nope. Okay. Oh, see it, see it. Get on see it, it, get on it. Doesn't uh, that also have, uh, what, how do you say his name? Dukeman? 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 Yeah, he's I think in he's in it. Yeah, he's, he's in it as well. Yeah, he's the uh, eye-melting guy. Yeah. Uh, and let's see, UHF, we've talked about before as well, but that came out that summer, the Weird Weird Al movie. And then I forgot about this one, but, uh, How to Get Ahead in Advertising also came out that year, which is the one about the, (laughs) Richard E. Grant plays the ad executive who goes slowly insane and gets a boil from stress on his shoulder. Oh my God. And then the boil starts turning into an evil version of him (laughs) and takes over. (laughs) It's amazing. I've totally forgotten about that movie. (laughs) Yeah. So that Uh, one came out in 89 as well. That's a good one. Shag the, or or our favorite movie joke, shag the movie as opposed to shag Shag the carpet. carpet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good one. Uh, But yeah, Uh, but you, you brought up that it's like a good year for actors, but I came across some weirdness like Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd. He was in, Ghostbusters 2, he was in Caddyshack 2, and he was also in Driving Miss Daisy. So it was a good year for Aykroyd. Rick Moranis yeah. was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Ghostbusters 2, and Parenthood. So a stellar year for Rick Moranis. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, so there's a lot of weird, like, hey, I'm in multiple movies and they're all doing really well kind of thing. Right. It's just a, Same year uh, that he was Batman, there was the yeah. Dream Team. Yeah. Uh, Hanks, I think, was in The Burbs. And what else? He was in something else that was... Turner and Hooch. Yes. The, the, yep. So he had two big ones. Yeah. Not to be confused with K-9, the other dog movie with cops. 
Yeah. Uh, and not to be confused with Tango and Cash, which also yeah. came out in 89. Yeah. yeah. Top 20, that one. Uh, Tango and Hooch. Tango and Hooch. And then, uh, and we talked about the Abyss earlier, but I, I totally forgot to mention that that also falls in line with, uh, that was a weird year for underwater sea shenanigans. So that was that, Leviathan, and Deep Star 6 all came out in the same year. Riddle me that. Oh, another one I forgot about. I'm just going through this list. Uh, uh, a Vampire's Kiss. The, yes. The, the ultimate <laughs> pre-Academy Award Nick Cage. That is the most I, batshit if, insane performance ever. Yeah. I love it. If you are a fan of Nicolas Cage insanity, then one, you have a great sense of humor and I want to have a drink with you. And two, you've got to see this film because him going nuts on... Uh, yeah, where's the Der Spiegel file? It's so fucking good. What do you mean? Who? How could somebody misfile something? What could be easier? It's all alphabetical. You just put it in the right file according to alphabetical order. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Alpha. A guy yeah. who thinks he's turning into a vampire, he's not, he's just crazy, uh, and, and him torturing uh, his assistant at work and trying to bite people with fake vampire teeth. God, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, so those are just some of the weird ones that came out, but all all of them have a special place in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but of the and just we just we can just follow up with this and then there'll be the only little question I have for you. But of the films of nineteen eighty nine, what do you think had which one had the most lasting impact on you? Ooh, that is a good question. Uh, uh Batman. Probably. You think? Okay. I certainly watched it more than any of the other ones that we've talked about. Oh. That's how often such you a... Wow. How often do you rewatch uh, Batman, Brian? Like when was the last time you watched it? Oh, I mean, it's been a few years now. It's probably okay. been five, six years since I've seen seen it. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah. You still thinking, you, Eric? Chris? Oh, yeah, Heather's. Go ahead. Heather's hands oh, down. Yeah, Heather's. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. I, yeah. I, I, gotta, I saw I the I saw the shit out of that. I had the biggest crush on Winona Ryder for years. Yes, uh, everyone our age did. Yeah, and uh, even that one she did with Ethan Hawke didn't ruin my affection for her for reality uh, bites yeah i still <laughs> based on based on the strength of heathers uh yeah i, I still carried that little uh un- <laughs> unrequited torch but heathers just so, hit all the perfect buttons for me so i still love it to this day. she's got a new movie coming out this summer with keanu reeves it's a yes, romantic I, comedy I, where they're like acerbic eric yeah eric sent the, the clip for that yeah i did yeah yeah, nice. I, I, it's a thing. I don't know if I can get on board with a Keanu movie. I'm not even sure I can get on board with a Winona movie anymore, but put them the together. Level, the level of nastiness and just honest hatred that they, they, they speak yeah. in the preview makes me go, mm, I might be okay with this. So we're just the people you don't know where to stick. You might as well just stick us together. I don't want to be a person you don't know where to stick. Destination wedding is presumptuous. They're in a fool's paradise. Don't you believe there's someone for everyone? Close. I believe that there's nobody for anyone. Um, my pick, my pick uh, is kind of a cheat. It's that reissue of Lawrence of Arabia. 
Okay. I'm, mm. I I really look at that as an awakening for me. That, okay. You know, I'm sure it was made in the 60s, but uh, I didn't discover it until... I yeah. guess if I'm going to pick one that... Well, actually, none of these were made in 1989. Does that does that get me off the hook? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll we'll oh. give you the mulligan on that one. If not, I'm going to say. If not, I'm going to. If not, I'm going to say UHF because that's one that I <laughs> I watch yeah, regularly okay. and it's still funny. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we got uh, yeah. UHF, Heather's, and Batman. So Brian went for the the big fence swinging. And Eric and uh, I are just know. piddling around in the in the shadows, but I, I think mean, they're all cult, they're all culturally relevant movies. So I think we've all uh, chosen wisely. <laughs> I just want to say, <laughs> see, this I wrapped about, it up there about 1989. Um, we're lucky bastards, right? We we were born at a time when like the general culture has been favorable to us in a lot of ways, and this was the point at which we were all able to at least hold a shitty job, but a job, so we could go see these movies. We had a lot of autonomy, and the movies that were available to us were absolutely worth going to see. So, lucky us. Yeah, yeah. And 1989, a year chock full of bona fide classics. Can I, I, in closing, I'd like to say, the one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us all that once good and that what's good and what I fucked it up. All right, that's it for the show this week. <laughs> oh, if, if he's if Eric says it, you will I'm leave. Like, I'm like I can remember this. I can remember this. I no, no I can't. can't. No, you can't. And that'll do it for yet another episode of the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Uh, we do this every week where we talk about films, television, music, comics, books, whatever. We bring it up. We do it, and. Uh, Come back every week for another heap and helping of magnificently huge. Please, please share the podcast on your social media feeds. Please uh, rate us on iTunes and Google Play and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at MagHuge. On Facebook, we are magnificently huge. On Instagram, we are magnificently huge. You can email magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. All of these can be found, as well as an archive of our shows, on our website, maghuge.com. Join us again next week. We'll see you then. Oh.